Welcome to the Forthright Women podcast, where we're dedicated to revealing what keeps women leaders successful and sane. We address challenges like being an executive mom, enabling more women to rise, and fueling our own minds, bodies, and spirits. These conversations are unapologetically real, insightful, and from forthright women themselves. Let's do it. Hello, forthright women. This episode you're about to hear originally aired on our other podcast, Marketing Smarts. We thought this community would appreciate it too, as it contains rich and relevant insights to help keep all of you female leaders successful and sane. So let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about the role of vulnerability in the workplace. And this one's tricky because as soon as this word comes up, you can see people visibly tense and become completely uncomfortable. But there's definitely a role for vulnerability in the workplace because after all, we're not robots, right? And that role is directly tied to each person's personal brand, the brand of the organization, and how the people in the organization interact with each other. So, for example, if you're too vulnerable, you're thought to be highly emotional and soft. If you're not vulnerable enough, you're seen as cold and heartless. And then you layer on gender stereotypes and expectations, and there's further amplification. So there's a lot of nuances here because we're talking about people, and as we know, every person's different. So in this episode, we're going to try to provide a roadmap that assists in dialing up and dialing down vulnerability in the workplace based on the situation. Right. But first, as we often do, let's define vulnerability. Vulnerability means letting your guard down to expose emotional aspects of your personality and life. And the reason why it's so hard is because it exposes people to judgment. And it can be very highly personal, right? And sharing personal aspects of your life can be beneficial to building true and lasting relationships in a workplace, but it can also be very scary. Yes, exactly. So with that in mind, we will jump into the four ways to appropriately show vulnerability in the workplace. All right, number one, and I'm going to take this one. Share when you have failed so others can learn. It is never easy to put yourself in the hot seat and admit when you're wrong, right? It's especially hard for people like me who are stubborn and don't mm-hmm. think that they're ever wrong. Which, oh, never. <laughs> never happens. happens. You can ask Ann or my husband. Jeez. Um, <laughs> But it is such a good and then often missed opportunity to teach other people through your mistakes. It's good for building trust on the team. It's good for morale. It builds calmness, actually, because it shows everyone that, well, everyone makes mistakes and that if you learn from them, it's okay. So it's really important to focus on, all right, I'm bringing this forth to you because I want us all to learn from this situation versus being fearful of repercussions if you make a mistake. This also shows that you're human, right? We talked in the in the upfront about everyone is a person, right? We're not robots. We all have feelings. And the other part of being human is making mistakes. So it doesn't matter your role or your level within the team. If you can lead the charge by admitting when you are wrong, that will trickle down and in some cases up across the team to get everyone moving toward the culture where that vulnerability is not only okay, but it's actually good for the culture. And then if we tie this into those gender stereotypes like we talked about at the beginning as well, it can be really hard for women to be vulnerable on one side because they believe that perfection means they're not showing any sign of weakness. So then they're perceived in the right light and they can be perceived as strong versus men on the other side. They don't want to be perceived as ever doing anything wrong because that hurts their ego and they suffer as a result of that. And, of course, those are generalizations, right? But we really feel like it's important to put this lens on the conversation. So we will talk about the gender roles as we go through just because I think the inclination for everybody is not to be vulnerable, but the reasons why are different depending on a lot of things. But gender is always one of those things. Yeah, and I she said this is going to be such a hard one for people. I mean, because even people who are very highly ambitious, who who are big achievers, they hate it when they fail. Yes. <laughs> right? They hate it when they make the poor decision. You're talking you're... about yourself right now, so. Um, no, I'm not. I don't make <laughs> mistakes. Yeah. Um, but okay, yeah. Yes, I do. Um, but you know, it it takes a really strong person to be able to say, "Hey, you know what? Um, kind of screwed up here." And like, let's make sure we all learn from this. And I have never seen so much respect for a person is when they do that, when they're Mm -hmm. actually vulnerable and to say, like, 
you know, guys, I screwed up. And this is why it happened. And this is what I'm going to do differently next time. And so all of us, you know, let's not make the same mistake again. I've actually rarely seen anybody get in trouble for making a mistake because a lot of times there's so much around you that it's hard to make such a detrimental or mm-hmm. disastrous mistake that you kind of bring down everything in, in the whole entire community. Now, that can happen. I know it can happen. But even from that standpoint, if you could just admit that you did it, you can start on the solution, yes. right? And you can get everybody around to start on the solution. And can that have career implications? Yes, it can have career implications with regards to making a mistake. But it's worse if you try to cover it, hide it, or believe it, you know, try to make people believe it didn't actually happen. Yeah, I think that's all right. And I think that is a lot of why people shy away is because they know that that vulnerability may carry with them and project them in a negative light. So I think, yeah, that's a really good point because the longer you wait and the longer it sits out there, the bigger it just naturally becomes. Mm-hmm. And there's very little I've ever seen where people have made a mistake and it's actually been buried. And when it's it you know, is prolonged like that, then when it comes out, it's a much bigger deal than it would have been if it was just talked about in the first place. And it just ruins your credibility and exactly. your reputation and, and, and your integrity um, because it, it's more about you than it is about the company, the situation, you know, the the whole issue in general. So yeah. are you in, in your team in general? So um, just keep that in mind too. Yeah. Good point. All right. Number two, share when you are going through a rough time. And this one's all you. Yep. So we've talked in previous episodes about the fact that we spend generally more time at work than at home, unless you're working from home and then, you know, you're spending equal amounts of time there. But you guys get what we mean. Um, and, and this really means that, you know, the people that are around you, they start understanding you and your behaviors. And that becomes a consistent pattern for them to kind of recognize how they're going to engage with you. So if you're off, um, people can actually read that. Mm-hmm. And, and the more that you're around these, these same people, the m- more um, clear that's going to be for them that you are actually off. And what happens in those situations is a lot of times people are like, um, is something going on? Is this about me? Is there something going on bigger in the company? They make it about a bunch of other different things. And you don't really want people to start creating their own stories because one is distracting for whatever the work is going on, but also it starts kind of creating gossip that you yeah. may or may not want. Sure. And it also, it, it starts to, again, impact your reputation and your credibility with how you want your personal brand to show up. So when you are going through a rough time, Admit it. I mean, you don't have to go into a lot of detail. And actually, you should Please don't. Yeah. Please don't. You don't want to overshare because this is still a, pre- a professional environment. There's still an air of professional decorum that you need to maintain. And if you overshare, especially if you're the leader, it tends to make people feel a little awkward. It mm-hmm. tends to make people feel, uh, how do I? how am I supposed to be? Do I need to start tiptoeing around this person? Like, what do I do? How do I behave? Just simply state and just admit, you know, hey, this is going on with me right now. Just want you guys to know. So if I happen to be a little bit snappy or if I happen to, you know, be a little tense, it's about that. It's not about you guys. And I'm going to try my best in order to maintain a level of of calm or peace or how I usually am in order to get through this. But just recognize, you know, if something were to happen, if I snap, it's about them or whatever the situation's going on and not about you. Now, that doesn't give you a right to rise up and start being really irritable or attacking people or being very overly direct. You just don't get the okay to do that, even if you're going through a bad time. So maintain some personal sense of professionalism here. And especially here, if you are a woman now, you know, (laughs) this is where it's very, really important to kind of watch your professional decorum, because we tend when we start sharing these things become can become overly emotional, right? And, you know, especially if you start crying in the workplace, which, you know, is is a really tough thing for people to um, adjust to. So you may just want to kind of keep it very straight um, and and to um, the point. Um, And and that also helps in the way that people perceive you. And for men, um, you know, it's not natural to share personal things. um, So you're going to have to be okay with actually, you know, sharing something that's actually going on with you. And and again, I think people really appreciate that. They see you um, then as humans, um, and it makes it okay for them to also be humans. Yeah. And I just want to touch on the point about how and what you share. So Anne covered, of course, and, we, and I commented quickly of not to overshare, but 
This doesn't even mean that you actually have to tell people what's going on. I mean, you can just say there is something going on personally, and then you want to follow it with like, it's going to be okay, but I am working through it or something Mm -hmm. like that. So even if you're not comfortable going all the way to telling anyone or everyone what exactly it is, this just allows your team to then have the relief of knowing that it's not them. And then the other important thing that I want to emphasize that Anne said is this does not give you the right to be a jerk. Just because something is going on in your personal life does not give you the right to treat people badly no matter who they are. And that's going to be my soapbox moment there for the episode. But you do have to maintain, like Anne said, the professional nature of the business. So you can't just be terrible to other people because you told them something is going on personally. You have to work really hard to be yourself the best way you can. And then letting them know is just more about like if you're if you're sensing something or if you if there's nuances. It's not about just acting out and being completely different while you figure out whatever's going on personally. Yeah. And if you're the people on the receiving end, Um, It can be really tough to endure that, um, but try to give some grace uh, Mm -hmm. and and just understand that, you know, we all go through tough times and and that's what we would want people to to do for us when we go through our tough times. So it it, it definitely can be tough. um, But like I said, it's just it's so important to treat each other like humans. Yeah, totally agree. All right. Number three. Share when someone else is having a hard time. And I'm going to pass this to Anne, too. Yeah, so this kind of extends the point from um, the one that we just talked about in that you're going to come into situations where other people are going through difficult times and they're going to be sharing what is going on with them. And it's really, really important in these situations to really provide some sort of empathy or sympathy, if you can, because it's going to allow you to connect with them in a way that allows the whole relationship to become stronger, frankly. And it gives them a little bit of of openness in order to be able to be vulnerable themselves. Mm -hmm. So if you are a little bit vulnerable, it gives them the right to be a little bit vulnerable. And then from there, you could come up with the, the right way in order to approach the situation, depending if it's professional or personal, right? Now, again, you want to maintain a level of professionalism here where you don't overshare. Um, And that's really, really important because they're there because of them. So don't make it all about you. Mm -hmm. And don't overly pry out of curiosity. It's very, very tempting to ask a bunch of questions because you're curious and want to know all of the details. But you don't necessarily need to know all the details in order to be of help. So make sure that you're balancing how much you need to know with how much you want to know, I guess. So how much you need to know in order to help versus how much you actually would want to know out of your own curiosity. And, you know, make sure, too, that um, if you're a woman, you know, that you're going to tend to do this more naturally. um, But make sure that it doesn't, again, get too personal. Um, Again, we're not trying to be overly stereotypical here, but there is natural tendencies for women and men. And we just like we always like to do, we like to be very transparent when we see these things at play on a regular basis. And if you're a man, um, it's really sometimes hard to do this in kind. It's just not natural, and it could and it could come off as very inauthentic or very top level. You try to be very generic in in the way that you're trying to you know come across and trying to relate without having to give up too much or being too vulnerable. Really, guys, you gonna need to play into it a little bit um, and and really share and express that so the other person can feel like they um, can as well. Yeah, I think all of those are are really good points and. Um, I found in these situations that the less you say, the better, because Anne's point is really well taken about not making it about yourself. And for those of us that like to talk, like me, sometimes when I get uncomfortable, I just talk a whole lot more. And so for me in these situations, I've learned that it is not right to play into my uncomfortability, is that a word, Um, in the moment, but that it's actually about saying something simple, like, I hear you, I understand why you feel the way you do, I'm sorry you're going through this. And if you've been in a similar situation, it's fine to say, I've been where you are and I know how that feels, but then just stop talking. Let them work through whatever they want to say, give them the time and space and respect to do that. And this can also help you be more authentic in total. So 
you know, like I just said, these situations used to make me really uncomfortable until I learned how to manage them and talked about, you know, sometimes the male tendency is to kind of rush through it or, or be like, or, you know, gloss over it or whatever those cases might be. Just say something simply and then let the person have the space. And that can really help them feel like it's going to be okay and like, okay, phew, I, I got it over with by telling this person and I was vulnerable. Now next time it won't be so bad. Yeah. And I think to um, that point as well is it's trying to maintain a neutrality. Yes. Yes. Right. Too, because it could be, <laughs> especially if you're kind of talking about terms. I remember when I was getting divorced, everybody's like, oh, sweetheart, you know, it's like when you start sharing those things, it's like, oh, man, or, you know, jerks, you know, and stuff and like, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, that's not really helpful either. I'm like, I'm just looking for somebody to kind of listen to understand and just need them to know what's going on. Um, Not necessarily somebody who's going to be kind of like a rallying person behind it. So in these cases, you try to change maintain some level of neutrality with regards to how you um, engage with the emotion of it all. Mm -hmm. Um, Although if you do have a really good story that's beneficial for the person to be able to contextualize or frame it up or um, maybe have a path forward, share that. But share that in the context of your story and try to kind of keep the the emotion, your personal emotion about the situation out of it. Yeah, exactly. Well said. All right. Number four. Share when no one else is brave enough to. All right. So as we introduced this, right, we very overtly stated in the beginning that when you say the word vulnerability or vulnerable, people immediately shy away and get uncomfortable. And what we would say here is that companies can no longer avoid this, right? I think that there was a point in time where... Companies were more stoic, um, personal and professional. It was like separation of church and state. There were expectations of people in certain organizations that they were going to come in and just put their head down and get to work. And there wasn't going to need to be any culture, any emotion, any personal stuff, right? And I think that there is still that baggage at some companies. But I think that the world has changed and that everyone needs to be embracing vulnerability at some level in their organizations. It always has a role. And if no one ever steps in, there's either going to be no culture or a bad culture in the organization. So with this one, we say share when no one else is brave enough. Be the person to stand up and do it for the first time, even if it's in a small context, right? Like, okay, we gave the example of something's going on with you. That was one of our points, right? If you're the first person in the organization to admit like, hey, this, you know, something's happening in my personal life and therefore I might be distracted for a week or whatever, that gives the allowance for other people to do the same thing. And then the trickle effect of that, right, can magnify as other people start to follow the lead in that way. And we think it's just so important that, you know, now more than ever, really, and we've seen the craziness of the past year of people's lives mixing so much, right? It's just always going to be different from now on in in some capacity, even if you go back to the office full time or whatever the case might be. So embracing vulnerability and doing more than that, being the person to step up and lead by example and say, this is okay, is an important role to play in an organization, especially if there's not an allowance for it now. Yeah, and I would say this is really important where you send something going on in teen dynamics that nobody wants to talk about, right? Oh, yes. I mean, call it the elephant in the room, call it whatever you want to call it. Um, A lot of people will sit there with that elephant in the room forever, and nobody will want to say anything about it. So that's another aspect of vulnerability is being the person who's brave enough to stand up and say, hey, there's this elephant in the room, and we need to address this, and it and, and we had need to address this right now in order for us to continue to be able to progress the work in our relationships as a team. That's not necessarily always the leader. So yeah. sometimes yeah. it has to be, you know, a really brave team member that's going to be able to do that. Um, because a lot of people, again, won't want to do that be- for fear of being judged or for fear of um, having those repercussions back on them. But somebody is got to do it and somebody's got to set the example and you know it might feel like we're asking you guys to be the sacrificial lamb (laughs) but you know what like if it's not you who i mean Mm -hmm. so um it's this is about and 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 our and we know our listeners are are all about like taking like the your careers by the reins and really being able to have an impact 
if you want to have an impact in the place that you work with, you're going to have to be that person who is willing to be vulnerable, especially in some of these situations. Yeah. And that's a fantastic point about avoiding the elephant in the room because, you know, we've talked culture on multiple other episodes and nothing's going to erode the culture faster than when you don't address those situations. And for you personally, it's not just for the benefit of the organization that you're the person that's brave enough to stand up. That builds your character. It builds your confidence. It builds your presence. And it allows you to then step up to bigger things as they come up in the progression of your career. So Mm -hmm. to me, it's the opposite of sacrificial lamb, although I can see how it sounds like that. But it's more that whole idea of you know, leading, stepping in, taking a chance, being brave, all of those types of things. And even if the reception in the organization isn't the greatest thing ever, you're going to be better for having done it. Yeah, a little anecdote there. Um, For better or worse, I was always the person who was calling out the elephant in the room or always call call out when something I was like, you know, that just doesn't jive out. And it wasn't always well received, but after one of these certain situations um, with an, you know, an organization um, that I wasn't like in that was kind of ancillary to mine, the, one of the people came up that as one of my colleagues and she goes, and I love being in meetings with you because you always say what I'm feeling, but I just aren't brave enough to say it. <laughs> and it made me feel so proud that like I could be that voice for yeah. people. Um, didn't always, again, reflect well on me, um, but that's more in the, in the way I did it. I could yeah. have done it a lot better um, versus some of the ways that I approached it, um, honestly. So if you're feeling like that is, <laughs> that is the case, that every time you try to stand up and say something, you get this negative backlash consider how you might be saying it and the approach you're using and the words you might be using and seeing if your personal brand's at play there that in these um, places where you have certain tendencies, your personal brand characteristics are kind of skewing towards the ways that things are not working quite well for you. So that's just my little personal anecdote for people to learn from. See, I'm sharing you're being my vulnerable. failures. Yep. Yep. All right. Way to go. Yep. Okay, so before we get into in the trenches, I'm going to reiterate the four points we just stated. Number one, share when you have failed so others can learn. Number two, share when you're going through a rough time. Number three, share when someone else is having a hard time. And finally, number four, share when no one else is brave enough to. So moving on, we'll go into the In the Trenches section. Uh, For all of you listening, you know this is where we give real-world examples that might be specific to industries or situations, but with broad enough application that anyone can digest what we're saying and then immediately go put it into action. All right, question number one. What if I work for an organization where vulnerability is simply not appreciated at any level? And we just kind of touched on this really with the last point and the idea of being brave enough and and maybe that situation where you're in an organization where vulnerability is not appreciated. So the first thing we'll say here is you have to decide whether you can live within the walls of that place. Um, As we said, vulnerability is permeating most organizations in some way now. And so if it's not catching up to yours, we fully believe that it will at some point. But you need to take a look at yourself and see if you can authentically find a way to live within the organization based on your comfort level around vulnerability and sharing. If there are pockets of vulnerability in the organization, you might be able to seek those out. So just because it's not something that comes down from the top doesn't mean that it's not existing somewhere in the organization and that you and that subteam of people or that group or that department couldn't start to build from within and set the example for the broader organization. I mean, I'll give an example of I remember uh, working with a company when I was at one of the agencies and the CEO was very stoic and very old school and didn't want to hear about your problems. He'd ask how you're doing, but not really care, you know, like just that kind of like passing on through, checking the boxes, not really interacting with people. And so when we first brought them on as a client, I was like, Ooh, I'm not sure how this warm and fuzzy branding exercise is going to go in this organization, but we'll see. But what we were pleasantly surprised to find is that not only were there pockets, but there was vulnerability among teams across the organization, really. And they were functioning quite highly. And what they bonded around was managing up to that CEO who didn't fit the culture of the rest of the organization. And they'd really joined hands to learn how to successfully 
um, participate in meetings with him, get decisions made, et cetera. It was like they just learned to appreciate and respect his style was what it was. And then they were able to build their teams because he wasn't a micromanager. He wasn't in all the day to day, however they wanted to. And there was actually more of a connection than I would have thought given the fact that that was the person at the top and the directive from the top. So it actually turned out to be a really nice situation that first glance I would have never expected to see with that organization. And then finally, you know, we talked in the previous one about leading the way and testing the waters, um, being professional in your vulnerability, but see if there are ways, whether it's you or others, to start to build by example in various parts of the organization so that it almost like takes over from beneath, right? Where the foundation's being built and before you know it, oh my gosh, this is a totally new and different organization. Um, and I think this is another one where anecdotally I can say that there was an organization that I came into that was was as an organization very stoic and reserved. And you could feel it the minute you walked into the office and it was an agency which made it even stranger. And I was like, huh, this is going to be fun and exciting. How long am I going to stay? <laughs> and it was supposed to be just a short assignment, but I ended up staying a year and a half. And what I was able to bring to the team was the culture of a different type of organization in really trying to build one-on-one -on -one relationships with first all of my team members and then more broadly than that. And I'll say it didn't work with everyone. And there were certain departments that just were resistant. They were, you know, had been there longer and were stuck in their ways and whatever. But we were able to, I would say, spice up the organization, if you will, and build a little more humanity into the day-to-day. -day. And I think it was really just a result of the type of work that was being done was a little more analytical and engineering bent, perhaps, than what's traditionally done at an agency. And so I think people just became kind of the the work and put their heads down and did the work. And then that just led to day in and day out of that. And so it took someone that was new because a lot of people had been there a long time to walk in and be like, what the heck is this? And then encourage people to be different, which I feel like ended really well. I think you're saying engineers can't be vulnerable. <laughs> Okay, I gave a stereotype. That was the engineering Especially team. Especially, so I'm an engineer. Yeah, okay. by background. Well, okay. All right. What? But I think your point is well taken, and I think you know some people are probably saying, "Well, you know, I'm a very private person. Mm -hmm. I don't like to share my, you know, my personal stuff, and it's really nobody's business. And you know, we're just fine having this like environment where you know we just kind of keep to ourselves and and we don't really share and. You know, I, I think in this day and age, especially if you're trying to unite culture, especially behind mission and all these like other things that we've talked about in other episodes about how you really drive businesses forward, you just can't do that if you can't be human with each other. And I know mm -hmm. we sound like broken records, but it's so critically important that you just can't show up and do a job and expect not to bring any of your other self to that job and expect you to do well in that work as, as well as collaborate with others around mm -hmm. you as, as well as progress up through the organization. I'm like, that's just not the world we live in. So if you're if you're stuck in that like in that paradigm, that's like. Well, you know, I, I, I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be bringing all my, you know, personal stuff to work. It's like you don't have to bring your baggage with you. But you have to bring who you are there and let other people try to help you. I think that's really like the coming together of, of, of work environments right now. And if you happen to be a leader of one, you know, think about that. Think about what a stable and a um, cohesive and supportive environment the workplace can be if somebody is allowed to kind of show up how they are, right? So I think that's really important. The other thing, again, in, in our efforts, since it's all about vulnerability, I'll be really vulnerable. It's like, I have a therapist. Mm -hmm. I actually just talked to my therapist at noon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I talk to my therapist every month, regardless if I feel like I need to have talk to her or not. You know why? Because I, I, she's the only one that I can pay to listen to anything I have to say. <laughs> now, April, I don't play, and she still has to I listen to everything say, I say. I was just going to say, wait a minute here. <laughs> but, um, you know, but she, I mean, I can tell her anything, and there's no judgment there, and there's no, you know, it, nothing that is going to make me feel bad about myself, but only, and it's only help. So if you feel like you're not quite getting what you need from there, get somebody who's a professional to actually be able to help you kind of work through some of these things and see how you can better manage them in both your personal and your work life.
Yeah, I think that's a, a good share, but also a fabulous point of it's not just the workplace that's moving toward this, but it's also the acceptance of the need for things like therapists, which I think historically that is like a big X next to your name. But now we're seeing more than ever. I mean, people that you would be like, that person seems like the most together person ever. They see a well, therapist. thank you. It's like, yeah, see, so I'm giving it a compliment. But <laughs> anyway, I mean, I do think it I is a, a therapist. It's a, <laughs> it is a really fair point that this is not just something professional leaning. It's really the whole world in general. And if you don't know how to be vulnerable, I feel like you got to learn to some capacity to successfully exist and be happy as a human. Yeah, I totally, totally, totally agree. All right. Number two, what if I manage someone that's just too vulnerable and makes the team uncomfortable? Anne. Yes. So, you know what, this one gets really tricky um, because you, like we've been talking about, you want people to come to work and be able to bring themselves to work, but you need to really protect and manage the the team dynamic. So it's really important to first kind of try to diagnose why this person is um, behaving this way on a very consistent basis. And we're talking about people who are like always seem to be Okay, I'll use the stereotypes like drama queens or kings or like there's always something going on and they're highly distracting because they're taking up all the energy and all the space and they're not being able to then contribute in the way that they're going to, you know, they're supposed to be able to contribute and they're missing expectations. Like these are people who are always feeling like they're in that constant swirl of of drama that um, we're talking about here and we all have them and we've all worked with them. So first, try to diagnose why they're, they're doing this. Is there really something that's like systemic and consistently going on that needs to be addressed? Or is it a way to get attention? Um, we've seen them both. We, mm-hmm. We've seen these people behave um, in these ways for, for both reasons. If it's something that they're really consistently struggling with, I mean, a lot of people, like I said, when I was going through my divorce, that thing took months. <laughs> and it was like an emotional roller coaster, right? I was seeing a, seeing a therapist. I was seeing, you know, other um, healers outside of the, of the work environment. I, you know, let my team know what was going on so that they could be prepared if there was like some high moments and low moments. Um, but also, um, my my boss was very clear that there was other um, uh, help available to me if I needed it, either through HR or through um, resources that the company offered. Um, so there was always a, a way to be able to address those kinds of things, especially if I was having a bad day or give me a place to go where I could just like calm myself, collect myself. Now, if it's more of a professional performance-based type of uh, uh, issue, like if it's getting so dramatic that a person's no longer being able to contribute in the way they're supposed to, you also may need to get HR involved. I mean, you also may need to be able to um, tap into these resources, but you also may have to have one of those tough conversations. And we have a great podcast episode on that. So we highly suggest you listen to our Tough Conversations podcast episode, which really talks about how to, to deal in these situations. Now, if it's more about getting attention, again, you're probably going to want to listen to that tough conversations <laughs> episode where we talk about how do you be able to address that in a very proactive uh, way, like maintaining the emotion um, and and making sure that you're having a clear conversation there because it's going to have to be way more direct about what's going on there and why they're doing that and what's motivating them with a real big picture <laughs> surrounding that about how this is impacting their career. Um, and especially if it's part of their personal brand, how their behaviors and actions are then not getting getting them towards their goals. So those are um, all things you need to, just to address once you kind of figure out what is the motivation behind why they're acting how they're acting. Yeah. And I just want to put a fine point on the these folks are typically the ones that there is always something happening, right? So Anne did a good job of contextualizing her experience, but I would not characterize Anne as someone who's always overly emotional and vulnerable. And I was during that time, though. Well, and I anything set me off. Yes. And I was I riding can... the edge so high that anything could set me off. Okay, so... But not in a normal basis. Yes, Yes. exactly. So I feel like these people, um, you know, we all have them in our lives where they're always running late. They're always coming in with a huff. They're always throwing their things down on their desk. They're just waiting for someone to ask what's going on Mm -hmm. with them. They're attention seekers, right? They... You know, they their emotion, you feel it when they walk into the room and you're like, oh, what's going to be today with this person? You know, so if you have that example in your head, I mean, those are the folks that we are talking about. Now, to Anne's point, there can be situations where you become that. Um, and that's also something that needs to be managed. But 
I think the point here is to uphold and respect the culture of an organization, you got to make sure that you can either successfully manage and contain these folks, or you may have to part ways with them because that one bad apple can distract the work, distract the team and make people unhappy overall. Yeah. And I, 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 I agree. I totally agree. And I think as you're going through those conversations, put a plan in place yes. to help guide the expectations and the um, the transformation in behavior that you are expecting. So there is some level of accountability mm-hmm. um, it's for you as well as that person. And really be clear about how you want them to behave and, and how that you know, is going to be conducive to them showing up more strongly within the culture. Um, but don't try to make somebody something that they're not mm-hmm. either. Um, but So that that's why we, we suggest using personal brand as a way to ha- be able to have that conversation on a more objective level so they can see that, hey, this characteristic that they have, if we'll just say emotional, emotionally led person, that that's not good or bad, but the way that it's showing up is not helping them move towards their goals. So you don't make it at a personal attack. Yeah, really good point. All right, number three. I joined a tight team and they're vulnerable with each other, but they freeze me out. What can I do? Anne. So is this about clicks or is this about just in general? Because we've all faced that too, where we feel like there's like clicks going on or there's groups of people mm-hmm. that seem to form a bond that we just can't quite get into. And that could be for a couple of different reasons. I mean, honestly and frankly, is that if you, especially if you're new to the, the group, it just might be a familiarity and a time thing. You can't mm-hmm. show up on day one and expect to jump in a group that's been solidified for a long period of time and, and expect that trust to be like at, right there at the get-go so that they're going to share with you and you're going to share with them. Because in order for this vulnerability thing to work, there has to be a, a, a really big element of trust. Um, so there, you might need to take some time. You may have to kind of, you know, kind of engage and, 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 and pull back and engage and kind of pull back and, and test it a little bit and see how people react and pull back. Um, you may want to get a couple of the people that are in that group and try to farm some more personal connections with those people, um, develop some friendships, um, you know, share and be vulnerable yourself. Again, you know, be careful about how much you're sharing or oversharing it that standpoint, because again, it can make people feel a little awkward, especially if they don't know you very well. Um, be very careful about not using those situations to try to gossip or mm-hmm. to like try to like fit in or or, or or be vulnerable by this fact that you're using somebody else's vulnerability or somebody else's personal issues to draw connections, right? Um, so it, this is one where you kind of have to, I can't engage the dynamics of the group, kind of see why is the reason I kind of came together to begin with and see if you can start forming those relationships, but it could take some time. And I think that's what people just have to realize. And sometimes, you know, if um, that organization or that that group of people just isn't going to work, you may have to find a different one um, that feels a little bit more accepting or a little bit more your speed. And like, not everybody's going to like you. And that's really hard to like really comprehend. Uh, because, you know, we all feel like we should be likable, but it's just not going to happen um, for a million different reasons. Um, So just be cognizant of that and then, you know, just kind of try it and then kind of pull back. Yeah, and I think just to stress the point of don't force it, Mm -hmm. that's the worst thing that you can do. I mean, I think that, yes, we all have the desire to fit in and we're starting a new job and we're super excited to be there and we probably thought of it one way and in this situation it might not be going the way that we thought. But there are, outside of cliques and bad behavior and all of that kind of stuff, there are bonds that do form that take a lot of time. And I remember a big frustration point for me, I think I've mentioned it on a previous episode, where we hired a whole bunch of new people and a whole bunch of those new people were now on the executive team and we were supposed to just hop on in there and share everything together and I was like whoa 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 I have been working with these other people for five years now it's not the same thing you can't force me to talk to a stranger the same way that I talk to those other people and I actually said that exactly that Um, (laughs) (laughs) which um, you know was maybe a more emotional moment than it should have been when I was frustrated but anyway the point of that is you know, 
you just like you don't want someone invading your personal space when you're going into these types of situations you should embrace it as their personal space whether it's they collectively a team of people or they one individual because you're entering their comfort zone of where they've been working mm-hmm. and where they go every day for the past however many years and so you're the new guy and you have to participate as such, but also it will do you tremendous benefit to try to get a lay of the land before just jumping right on in there and trying to make them like you. Yeah. And um, I remember when getting, this got really bad um, during a moment in P&G where there was this special kind of training that all these teams were doing that what you, when you did the, um, the life maps where you had to go like and share things that were really highs in your life and the things that were really lows in your life. And you're to the point where it was like they wanted you to be like just raw, vulnerable, which made a lot of people uncomfortable, especially if the people didn't know their teams very well. Mm-hmm. So being careful to your point about forcing these things to happen, forcing groups to gel with mm-hmm. these contrived experiences or exercises and stuff could be extremely detrimental. So don't force it. I totally agree. Yeah. All right. Number four, fourth and final. What if I'm too vulnerable in any given situation? Can I come back from it? So you guys know my favorite answer. It depends. But we did have some of this conversation throughout, right? So if it's a one-off versus a pattern of behavior, like we were just talking in the previous example about someone that every day you're like, oh, what's it going to be now versus picking up on something with someone that's not normal behavior. If it's truly a one-off, you have better luck that people will identify it as such and not part of your personal brand or who you are in general. And as we said up front, you know, everybody makes mistakes. And so I think generally speaking, a one-off, you can come back from, um, it might take a little bit of time. But the thing we always suggest here is address it immediately to nip it in the bud and also in an attempt to move past it. So apologize if you need to, to any relevant parties Admit that what you did was wrong or not appropriate or a mistake or whatever it was and emphasize quickly that you will learn from it. It won't happen again. So that puts you in the driver's seat of the situation. It allows you to control the narrative and it also allows you to own the fact that you very maturely understand this is not something that should have been done. And then move on as quickly as you possibly can, even if and when a lot of times there are repercussions, work to get back to that normal. And people will take your example and go along with that, right? Because mistakes and situations like that where other people are put in a vulnerable space, that is also uncomfortable for other people surrounding them. So this is not meant to say that we want you to shy away or quickly brush it under the rug, but it's like manage it at whatever level it is, own it and then move forward. Because as we've said throughout this episode, we're all people. We spend so much time at work and with the people we work with. We're not perfect. And in the workplace, disagreements, confrontations, breakdowns, oversharing, they all happen. So once it happens, don't sit and wallow in the fact that it happened. Own it, take responsibility from it, and act professional again as a result of it and move forward. Yeah, I think that's um, really good advice. And I think it's, like you said, it's okay to be retroactive mm-hmm. um, if it it's happening occasionally. I mean, I, like I said, um, I could count how many times on one hand in my 20 years of P&G I cried at work, but I did. Um, when some situations got, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit too intense um, or I was getting some feedback I didn't quite expect, um, I had my moments and I was like ashamed that I was crying and I was like, I can't believe I'm crying and it's just not like the person I am. But, you know, I collected myself and, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. Like it happened. So you just have to collect yourself and you have to move on. Um, it's also good to kind of figure out then post-mortem there, like what triggered you? Um, what was it about that situation that made you like that? And if you can put something else in place when something triggers you. So if your trigger when you know to, to cry is like highly intense emotional situations, try to figure out like, hey, oh, okay, I'm getting triggered by this. What is uh, something else that will like I can connect with my brain that keeps me calm? Uh, maybe it's like your favorite place. Um, it, it, it sounds so corny, but it so works. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like, okay, I'm getting triggered. Like I, I just think about like putting Bay or on the beach and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, I could just feel like, you know, my, my nervous system starting to calm. There's actually 
brain analogy there mm-hmm. that I don't quite, yeah, it's parasympathetic and your sympathetic nervous system, but it's like getting your reaction to chill out a little bit um, so that you can actually think and then process. Um, so there are ways of being able to control those things. You don't have to be um, at, at, um, at, at liberty every time those things happen to feel like you have no control over mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I mean, for me, the visualization works and also something as simple as a deep breath. Deep right? breath, or, yeah, that's supposed to move you right out of that parasympathetic. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it it really is like it is simple actually because it allows your body physically to take a moment for itself. And so I think, yes, those trigger moments, I think what Anne says is so important to be able to identify and not allow it to be a self-fulfilling prophecy every time because back to the point we were making on this one, if it becomes regular behavior versus a one-off, that's a very different situation to come back from versus this happened one or two times or a handful of times. Yep. Agreed. All right. So that's in the trenches. And I'm going to reiterate the four points we just stated. Number one, share when you have failed so others can learn. Number two, share when you're going through a rough time. Number three, share when someone else is having a hard time. And finally, number four, share when no one else is brave enough to. As you know, our third and final segment is usually a real-world example of a brand who's doing this well or not so well, where it applies. It's obviously hard to speak to vulnerability inside organizations, and we've talked a lot of examples from at least personal experiences today. So Anne's done a better job of me, perhaps, of being vulnerable in this episode, but I will. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm trying to think of my, my, my one here, since I think I covered them all, but okay. Yeah. Well, and so we can just do me then. Um right. But anyway, I thought it might be helpful to walk through high level my journey of vulnerability, let's say, throughout my career, uh, just to give a sense of how this can potentially work. So I will say that as a young professional, I was pretty stoic in the workplace and I was very focused on being a perfectionist. And I, I mean, I literally, literally did not want to make a mistake, like no mistake. And I'm talking like typo in an email. Like I just did not want to make any, any mistakes. And that set the expectations way too high for myself. And it set the expectations way too high for the people that were working around me. But in my head, I just had it that like it was working against me that I was young and to show any weakness would show my youth. And that was just going to leave me dead Mm -hmm. in the water. Mm -hmm. And so I worked really hard to maintain that. And I was actually really lucky to be part of an organization that once people got to know me, they helped me. Not only did they give me the advice and say that this was happening, which I did not take kindly to in the beginning, and I just thought they were wrong, but then they started to help me see through the eyes of other people how I might be being perceived in certain situations and how I could better work with the teams by not doing that. And I had a lot of really good senior mentorship at that organization. And it was a very people-first organization where everybody really liked each other, which I think is tremendously rare because there were like 65 of us. And everybody really respected each other. And we all wanted the best for the other people. And so I had to learn to become part of that and as such be a lot more vulnerable about what I did and didn't know and also not holding everybody to this crazy expectation that just isn't even possible as a human being. Um, And I think it helped me at an early age start to think about who I really was and what I wanted the perception of me to be because I'd never thought about myself as a super intense individual really ever before. And so to get that feedback from the organization pretty resoundingly, I was like, huh, well, I did something when I've entered this professional career that now I'm showing up this way. And that's not actually the way that I want to show up. And so how am I going to change that? And I I feel like embracing vulnerability and being a whole person. I used to say that I wanted to find a role where I could be the same person inside the organization as I was when I went home and not have that fatigue of having to pretend and put on airs at the organization where I was. And that became something that I sought with every subsequent role. And sometimes I was successful and sometimes I was not. But 
at this point, I feel like I am a pretty open book for the most part. And I have started doing things in my life that I don't think I ever anticipated as a result of that. So I would say this podcast is one of them. To share so much of my personal journey with such a big audience is a huge step for me. I think when we first started talking about this, I was like, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> I can do the professional side. I'm not sure I can weave the personal side in. But when I think back to that idea of making my life all one and the same and having it all intersect, that has happened. And that has happened in an even bigger way as a result of this show. So I think it's just so underestimated. And I think as a young person looking back, I wish I could have just shook myself and said, First of all, we're not saving lives. Second of all, you want these people to remember you as a hard worker, sure, but you don't want them to remember you as a crazy person. <laughs> Calm down, be a person, get to know people. So, yeah, I think that's a really fantastic story. And yes, um, I I, I think the podcast has been a, a a great one for for both of us. Next step for you is video. We'll get you on oh. video. I'm feeling good on video. Eight video. I know, but there's there's two things I I thought were really you know, profound in, in the story that you shared. One was that. You know, really, you know, kudos to your um, mentors and your leaders and managers who gave you the feedback. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people won't give that kind of feedback, especially because it's softer feedback, yep. you know, and it's really hard to articulate because it, and, and it, and especially since the people and the receivers tend to take it very personally. So it seems like they did a fantastic job mm -hmm. of being able to give that feedback, giving it in a clear way and making it productive enough that you can learn from it and move on from that. Um, and I think that's just so extremely valuable that. Um, people are able to call you on it. And before it gets to a point where it's like one of those real records and, and that nobody can like undo, mm -hmm. um, which happens a ton, is that people just will talk about it behind your back, but nobody actually tells you it's to your face. So I think that's fantastic that they did that. And I also thought it was really great that you pointed out, um, you know, the fact that when you come in as a young person or a new person um, in, in any of those transitions, either even if you've been in the organization and now you're like, you know, moving up in the organization mm -hmm. or you're moving to a new role within the organization, we always tend to revert to what we think people expect of us yes. in that role versus, again, who we are, or who we want to be in that role. And if you get yourself off kilter like that, if you get yourself straying so far from your personal brand, your personal brand characteristics or those tendencies or that context forces behaviors and actions that make you show up in ways that you don't intend, that could be very detrimental. So whenever you're going through those transitions, it's so fundamentally important to really go back and review your personal brand and really recognize how the situation is going to make you feel. Um, what is going to be your tendencies as a result? And are those, and are those um, behaviors and actions going to work towards the goals that you want and towards the perceptions that you want people to have in your image? Um, or is it going to work against you? Yeah, no, I think that's... Very good points on all fronts. Being a forthright woman can be challenging on a good day, which is why we offer individual and group coaching as well as group trainings and keynotes. Check out our website, forthright-women.com to learn more. If you find this podcast of value, please rate and review us and share with other women who could use a boost to become a forthright woman.